A few weeks ago, our year-and-a-half-year-old Rowan started school. It's not a school experience in the strict sense, of course. They spend a lot of time playing and going from one area of the classroom to another. There is a sensory table, which changes each week, sometimes with water and foam, sometimes with little cut things that they can play with. There's the book corner selected from the kids' favorite books. The kitchen area with pots and pans that they can pretend to make things from and also sometimes just bang because they're loud and make good noise. And the wall with photos of each child's family so they can feel more at home. After having a time of playing together, free play it's called, they gather around in a circle on a rug and sing songs. Then they eat, they read, and play in the gym. It sounds fun, even for an adult. And I think it generally is fun for them. But it's also been a time of great adjustment for Rowan, my son. A lot of changes. First, he's constantly sick. One runny nose follows another almost every, every week. He's meeting new people, encountering new children and adults, all of whom, in this particular case, are older than him and went to the school over the summer. And school has expectations. It has rules. You have to wash your hands when you come in, even if you hate washing your hands and start crying every time you do it. You can't play with every toy car whenever you want, because others want to play with them too. Sometimes you have to sit when you'd rather run, eat when you'd rather play. I've watched Rowan's world both expand through school, but also constrict. He's learning that the world is really, really big, but also that he must conform to it. Perhaps the hardest part of school for him is the separation. His school practices what they call gentle separation, which means that we parents get to sit with them until they get to be comfortable by themselves. We sit on little chairs on one end of the classroom, trying to be as boring and uninteresting as possible so the kids develop independence. Over a period of days or weeks, depending on how they do, we are phased out. We started this process this last week. And Rowan, for whatever reason, his youthfulness, his newness to the school has been the child most attached to me and his parents. Other children move around the room doing all the centers, letting their parents mostly be sitting, reading magazines or chatting with each other. But Rowan stays near, mostly underfoot. Sometimes he ventures out to collect something, a toy, a ball, and bring them back to me like a cat bringing a mouse, proudly displaying what he has. It's sweet in some ways, actually, and it, I'm glad that he feels safe around me. One of the parents kindly joked that Rowan must love me the most of all the parents in the room, which was a kind way of reframing that Rowan is also the most dependent and least independent of all the kids there. 
But the point of school, of course, is not to just hang out with your parents, no matter how much you love or just need them. On some level, the point of school is the separation, to give parents the time to work and the children the exposure to other people and the wider world and the lessons that they have to offer. It has gotten me thinking a lot about childhood and even adulthood and how they both ask us to separate from what we love. I see it with Rowan at school, with the rules and the expectations and the separation that he has to have from his parents, but how he's being asked to conform to certain priorities that are not his priorities and asked to forego things that he cares about for things that he simply could care less about. Now, I know we're educated with an eye for the future. A little discomfort now leads to greater happiness later. Toddlers learn to separate from their loved ones so they can learn to love beyond them. But seeing Rowan being asked to give up what he loves, whether it's his parents or his desire to play with cars with every minute of every day, has made me think about the realness of the sacrifices we all make. I'm all for short-term discomfort, for long-term happiness, for being pushed outside our comfort zones to grow our hearts and minds. That is profound, it's spiritual, and it is essential. Rowan's discomfort will allow him to experience new and different things and I hope bring him new and greater joys than what he is experiencing now. But often I think as life goes on, we forget those wonderful things we've given up. We forget the point wasn't to stop doing what we loved, but to increase our ability to love. Maybe it's because I'm a parent now and I'm being exposed to early childhood in a way I haven't ever been before, or maybe it's because I'm reaching middle age. But I can't help but notice that Rowan loves deeply and feels joy unreservedly in ways that most of the adults I know do not. Now, religion is conflicted about what to do about this. this truth, this reality, this relationship between childhood and adulthood, and what real maturity actually means. In the Christian tradition, we have Paul writing to the community of Corinth in 1 Corinthians saying that when I was a child, I talked like a child, I reasoned like a child, I thought like a child. When I became a man, I put the childhood ways behind me. Paul suggests here a clear hierarchy. Maturity means leaving the gifts of childhood behind. But then in the Gospel of Matthew, written after Paul, Jesus is equally clear in the opposite direction. He says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a conflict here in the Christian scriptures. They disagree clearly 
and obviously. But I'll take Jesus over Paul. Jesus is saying that there is something sacred in the unabridged, the unbridled love and joy that Rowan and other children feel. I think he is saying that we adults lose something important when we sacrifice that for whatever we imagine maturity has to be about. And that we need to reevaluate what it means to be wise and grown up. He is saying, I think, to think deeply about what reversing course might mean. And whether we are kids or teenagers or hardened adults, we are constantly told what is good to love, who to love, what is cool or appropriate to love. We are told to suppress that part of us that is passionate, that cares easily and with abandon, that feels tenderness. As children, boys are taught a masculinity that severs them from their joys, their tenderness, their expressions of affection, because those things are deemed to be less than and feminine. Girls are taught that ideal femininity is pleasing to men and shames them from deviating from it. We see it with teenagers and the pressure to conform to the latest trends, to leave their childhood passions behind. Things are no longer cool. They are no longer with it. They are childish in the negatest way possible. And of course, we see it and know it as adults too. Maybe less acutely, but maybe because we have simply adjusted and assumed that to be what adulthood is. In some circles, for example, you will be judged for being an avid fan of pro wrestling. And others, you will be scoffed at for being a fan of opera. It depends in what kind of adult circles you live in. That one is good, the other is lame. I think about how when we go to the zoo with Rowan, most of the other people there are there with children, families. There are very few adults there by themselves, as if getting excited about animals is somehow something we grow out of, as if there is something innately childish about thinking that bears and elephants and lizards are really neat. We do that with a lot of things that are not innately childish. Dinosaurs, objectively awesome. Fairy tales, not written for kids originally. There are a lot of things just like that. I've always respected what C.S. Lewis said as he riffed off Paul. C.S. Lewis, of course, a big Christian thinker, but also writer of children's literature. He wrote this, when I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. I don't think Lewis's words are fundamentally about childhood, actually, but about what we understand to be maturity. They're about pushing back against norms of society that there is only one way to be grown up, one way to be an adult human being, and that you must change yourself in order to be that thing. You must change yourself and give up 
what your heart loves, what you're passionate about. I want us to remember, first and foremost, that our life is too short and too precious to live without the things we love. It is too short and too precious to live it according to someone else's rules or expectations about what we should and should not care about. Love expressed openly and without reservation is perhaps the most profound and joyful way we can spend our lives. We deserve that kind of life, no matter who we are, no matter what we love, free from the concerns of what other people believe. So I want you to channel the feelings of those things you love. Live your life with a full heart. Live a life that is love forward. Think about what you have cared about deeply and put aside left behind and allowed others to take from you. Maybe it's dinosaurs or cars or pro wrestling or opera or maybe even your own parents. Return to them if it feels right to you, knowing that your love is where your happiness lies, how you will live a life without regrets, and where you will find your greatest joy. Live within your love. Remember it. Nurture it. Follow it. Hold on to it. Your life is too short and too precious to do anything else. May it be so, and amen. Hi, and welcome everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I am the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. Uh, and as part of our podcast package that we make for each of our service videos, uh, we include a time where we dive a little bit deeper into some of the themes of the service. Reverend Schuyler, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ember. I really enjoyed uh, this this message. It really gave me a lot to think about, both as I prepared the time for all ages, but just in general, I really um, in, enjoyed this thinking about the way that we give things up as we get older. It was it was really quite the message. I I wish I had been able to be in the actual sanctuary to hear it. Uh, <laughs> well, luckily we have these recordings that uh, we can listen to and watch, and I know I enjoy doing that when I'm not in the pulpit like the week before, um, uh, but I appreciate your kind words. Yes. So I'm curious what inspired it? Obviously a little bit of Rowan, but uh, you know, what, what was really the inspiration? Well, you know, I've been sitting, been sitting in Rowan's classroom in the morning uh, because they do general separation. And, uh, and it's, you know, Rowan is the youngest kid in the class. He's also the one who, the only one who I think wasn't there over the summer. Um, and so, so he's had a little bit more struggle, I think, adjusting and, and, and having that, that uh, you know, li living a more structured life than he's used to, where he's kind of used to running around doing kind of what he wants all the time. And obviously he's not totally out of control at home, but I think, you know, parents at home often develop tactics or structures that kind of let them, let them operate with two minds, right? So we can do the dishes while he plays or, you know, do something else. 
Um, but in school, that's very you know he they have they have the structures that everyone has to abide by, and so I, I've been watching him adjust to those and and recognize that he he can't just play with cars all the time. He can't just move around everywhere he wants to all the time. And they're not they're not super strict and they're not like disciplinarians, um, but there's clear you know there's clear techniques and desires that you know he he should be abiding by at least learning to be like okay we're all over here for circle time now we're all going to sit here in our chairs and have snack, um, and that kind of that's it's different and so I, I see him having to process the the him coming into sort of the world in that way, but then also giving up sort of the things that he really likes in those moments, right? That he can't always move his body. He can't always play with things with that roll around. And in the separation level, he can't always have uh, me and his loved ones around, whether it's his mom or you know, grandparents or whoever. Um, and that like, that's hard for him. Um, and, uh, and so part of our job, of course, is to do that in a kind, compassionate way, but also prepare him for it. But it got me thinking about how so much of growing up, and in some ways just being a person, is having to wrestle with this this equation of how much we have to we need to or should sacrifice those things that are that really give us joy um, for things that society says are important. Um, and how we navigate those things um, and how we make that decision about what where the line are between those two two things. And I think so often we, unfortunately, you know, make the wrong choice, or at least make the choice that is society tells us is, is more valuable or, or that will benefit us in the long run. And then we end up in the long run forgetting that the ultimate purpose was to actually have more joy and more love and more, more fun to some level, right? Rather than just like collecting all the things that society tells us we should collect. Right. Yeah. I mean, life is life is so full of these moments like this the one that's happening for him that of these big changes. You know, we mark that with like you're going into high school. Um, and at least I don't know how things are nowadays, but like uh, it was it was a big thing, at least for for my generation, that when you went off to middle high school, that meant that you got to pick like what classes you were going to be taking and that you went to different classes instead of the same teacher all day. And then going off to college where you're all on your own, all of these, these big phases. Um, but also, as you were talking there, I, we went to the Liberty Science Center yesterday and one of their new exhibits is this whole giant miniaturized train set um, that is supposed to be all of these locations in, um, in New Jersey. Like there's a, a scale model of like the, the train terminal in Hoboken, uh, there's, you know, all these different things going on. And it was made by this guy who's like 70 years old. Um, but you know what? He he didn't give up on those things, on those things that he loved. He, he said, you know what? I'm obsessed with trains. I'm going to keep doing trains. And now it's in a museum. Um, so, you know, sometimes it it, it pays off to, to stick with those obsessions. Um, but no, you know, we have to admire those people because they, you know, I imagine there was a time um when trains were not cool for him right we're like kids like trains they like cars they like airplanes um but then there's a time when it doesn't you know it's not cool when you're a teenager or even young adult to be like i'm really into trains you know i don't i don't know if that like fits on people's tinder profiles you know uh six feet you know things are my job and i'm really into trains right like that it's not it's not a great pickup line it's not it's not something that you consider sort of high in the desirability list but I think the important thing, right, is that like 
if you really love trains, you only have one life. And to be to live kind of in fear of getting judged for that is really kind of sad. And so I'm so glad this guy did it, whether he got any accolades or not. Right. Well, and, uh, you know, you, you say this about, you know, is that going to fit on your on your Tinder profile? But one of the uh, fairly large TikTokers um, is this guy who literally just like put a camera like on his forehead and films himself watching um, uh, trains go by and like how excited he gets about it. And he got like millions of followers and now uh, models with Gucci. Uh, so you never know what, what loving trains might get you. That's so great. Well, you know, and I, uh, I should apologize to all those train lovers out there that, you know, that have found a lot of success and love out there because I think that's great. And people should live their passions and live their, live their truth uh, because um, it's important to be forward about that stuff. Right. I know... Um... One of the things that we talked about as we were discussing like time for all ages and things like that was how, uh, especially the younger generations, uh, millennials and Gen Z are very much okay with like sticking with some of these things that we really like, you know, perhaps Taylor Swift for myself, um, you know, uh, that, that we're okay kind of being identified with these, these fandoms with these, um, you know, I'm a train spotter. I'm, um, Oh gosh, I I had a friend who was really into like the way that like different traffic situations were constructed and like mm -hmm. he, thanks to the power of the internet, he had a community of other people he knew that like they went and like watched interstate junctions and I'm like, you know, like to everybody their own thing, like go go for it. And cool. You know, I so talk about that a little bit. I know we talked about it. So do you think that it's changing that people are a little bit more okay with like not just giving up everything that they enjoyed as a young person? I do think so. I mean, I know we talked about. I think the the gener I think the internet has done a, has been very helpful in in connecting people to things and giving them access to um, to fandoms or just their interests and other communities that get, and other people that care about them. Um, I think, yeah, I think I think perhaps the millennial generation having grown up with the internet, at least part of it, part of their childhood, um, you know, gets maybe deserves a little more credit than they get, they're given for for um, bravely holding on to what what they care about and 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 continuing to do that and and making it more normalized, which I think is lovely. And Gen Z hopefully benefits from that. Um, though I'm sure I'm sure there are people in Gen X and Boomers and others who have done that too. Um, but I, I do think I think it's a, a powerful and wonderful thing that people can not have to feel like they give up because um, because most of the reason why we give our the stuff up that we love is that you know there's there's shame or there's sense of that we're going to be rejected for it and that and that feeling of rejection is really painful I think particularly when those things are are near and dear to us because it it's hard sometimes to separate those things that we love from ourselves. So I'm curious. We heard about. Rowan, but what about young Skylar? What were the things that young Skylar obsessed about? Were you reading theology books as you know, a, like a ten-year-old? Um, you know, what what was what was your your stuff as a kid? Yeah, um, I was not reading theology books when I was a child. Um, I had said this before, but I I would have been shocked, perhaps appalled, that I would be have been a minister. I think my younger self would have not understood that. Um, uh, and you know it was a journey to get here. I think I would you know I think like a lot of kids I I really loved animals. Um, 
I, you know, Jurassic Park came out when I was a kid, and dinosaurs were really exciting to me. Um, you know, I, I really liked children's books, and I, I still do. Um, those still are very important. Uh, and I'm glad to be able to revisit them with, with Rowan, my son. Um, and I remember, I remember a time when, around fourth grade, when things started to change for other classmates, where there was, um, people started caring about popular music, and people's clothes started to be talked about. And their sort of styles, you know, uh, of pop culture started kind of in, intruding into into our our lives as children. Maybe it was a tween, it was like a tween age um, before that was called tweens. Uh, and I remember kind of grieving that and kind of being upset about that because I felt like my the way the things that I liked and cared about were fine, and I felt like there was a feeling it was like a there was there was pressure being put on me and those things to change and be different. Um, and I didn't see intrinsically any more value in what, in caring about what you dressed and what music you listened to or what was cool or not. Um, and and there was, I remember resisting that and being kind of resentful that that was sort of, that people were kind of leaving me behind um, with that. And I think there are lots of reasons for, for why people do those things and you know why teenage years people change, obviously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was kind of a holdout um, because I kind of, but at the same time also, like I, I knew that I wasn't able to do the same things. Like I wasn't able to play with toys in the way that I used to, or, you know, they weren't, they wouldn't give me that sense of like um, being lost in Legos, right? That I, I used to be when I was littler. And I, I knew that too, as, even as a fourth grader. And there was some grieving about that. And so I was sort of stuck in this place of really having remembered that and, and loved that stuff. And then also finding that, that I wasn't able to get lost it in the same way and then not really knowing where else to go because I wasn't really interested in pop music or what kind of clothes I should be wearing. So, yeah. What about you, Amber? Well, first, there's still time to win you over to Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift was not around when I was in fourth grade. I mean, she was somewhere probably, but she may have been much younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the, as you're mentioning this, this grieving, and then, and then I'll talk about the things that were um, really big for me. Um, as you mentioned this grieving, it made me think about, uh, I have this memory, it was probably maybe like third or fourth grade. Still, I was I was a shorter kid and I was like the youngest in my grade because of where my birthday fell. Mm. And, you know, we had like this huge snowstorm and because of like the parking lot, there's, you know, the huge piles of snow. And so like at recess, we're playing in like this huge snow mountain and snow fort. And by like, by then, by like high school, you suddenly realize those piles really weren't that big. You were just that small. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, you know, you you almost long for one of these epic super blizzards because you want to still be able to go play on these huge piles of snow. But now they're just, you know, the height of yourself. Um, not that not that huge anymore. Um, so that's that's one thing that I that I thought about as you were talking about this grieving the the old ways of playing with things. Um I Jude the other day, my my oldest was was telling me. How much he loves winter and i said you know i said the same thing as a kid um and then i started driving and suddenly i did not like winter as much um, <laughs> just need those four-wheel drives you know those pickup trucks you know the, the chain down the tire life of ours <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so i um i feel you on the, on the on the grieving thing that makes a lot of sense to me but my things uh i you know i was definitely into dinosaurs being a paleontologist was high on my like desired careers list um 
And, you know, I perhaps, I, I did the math the other day. Like I, I do that occasionally when I'm thinking about whether we can watch movies with my kids. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, Titanic came out in 99. So I was 11 um, or Jurassic Park came out in, I think, 95. Actually, it might have been, the first one might've been like 93. And then the second one would have been, like, been 95. It's, it's some sort of, so I'm like, like I was seven years old going to see this movie where this guy gets ripped in half by a Tyrannosaurus. Like, you know, debatably, you know, debatable on whether it was allowed for me, but you know, it's still, it spurred my love of, of dinosaurs. Uh, Power Rangers was huge for me. Um, and then, you know, another on this, on the same element of, of grieving, um, video games have always been really huge for me. And I think that I still play them, but, and I have lots of friends who are still very avid gamers, but like, it's it's hard for me to, like, I feel like I'm always searching for a video game to give me those same feelings that the games gave me as a, as a like preteen and teenager where I could get lost in this world and I could, you know, just lose track of the days because all I'm doing is playing video games. And, you know, now I have job and kids. <laughs> It's not as easy to to find that feeling, and I feel like oftentimes, um, uh, maybe a critique of of millennials is that we are chasing those, those positive feelings from our younger years, um, with with our still big passion for these fandoms that we are chasing those um, those feelings that we had as a kid of like life is good. Um, and, yeah, I I think there's a there's a real conversation we had there as well, right, about what the you know, is it, is it, when is something nostalgia uh, and, and when is something a current act of passion, right? Uh, you know, when is, when is it living in the past and trying to recapture the past versus when is one living into the future and the present? Um, and I think there are places for both, but I think that it can be, it can be spiritually uh, dangerous potentially to, to do too much of the nostalgia looking for what maybe isn't feasible in the present from the past, right? Um, but I also think there are reasons why that, you know, millennials have been kind of stiffed for, <laughs> for their own lives as adults. Um, and uh, it's a lot easier to, you know, to think back to the times when anything was possible and, you know, we could kind of believe that the world was getting better and better, which is how kind of the world was presented to me growing up. And that's not the world that we grew up into and uh, that we inherited, um, you know, and that we continue to live. Uh, and I think a lot of millennials and probably Gen Zers too feel very powerless, feel like the world is created for a different age group uh, and where most of the wealth is concentrated in different different higher level of age groups. So like that's that's all very real too. And so it doesn't surprise me that when deprived of a prosperous present, you know, people look back to a more promising past and uh, um, I don't begrudge people for that. There's a whole, there is some sermon inspiration for a future message for you. <laughs> That's right. There we go. <laughs> Next week. Oh, Next uh, week. There we go. <laughs> uh, Skylar, thanks for sitting down and sharing a little bit about the things that you enjoyed as a kid as well. You too, Ember. It was fun. It was good. Thanks everybody for tuning in as well.